Good morning. I'm going to read Jonah chapter 3 and 4. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and, sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent with compassion, turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at, the pl at a place in east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort, and Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which more in which there are more than 120,000 people who can tell, cannot tell their right hand from their left? and also many animals. Can we hear what God's word has to say to us today? Maybe the way to start is to ask if you have a low light reel. You know, my son likes to watch highlight reels, you know, on YouTube and baseball's greatest, but a low light reel, you know, that place where you're like, oh, if only, or gosh, I wish I would have not done. Well, it was the first Christmas that my wife and I were married and her parents had invited us to a Christian Christmas concert. It was early December. They'd bought the tickets, and they'd said that we could come over to their house. They would drive downtown so we didn't have to figure out parking, and that was good because I was still trying to adjust to, to life and driving in the city. And so we said, yes, let's do it. And we got done with our stuff and got to their house early, so we had this little victory, and they weren't quite ready, and that was okay. But then they weren't ready a little longer and that was starting to not be okay. And then we finally got in the car after 10 or 15 minutes and drove down. And it's December in Minneapolis with snow and traffic. It's like 5.30 or 6 at night. And it is a mess. There's no parking. 
When we finally find parking, my father-in-law takes a wrong turn, and I am just like, which I'm just frustrated because I'm a Christian at this point, and I know that you can't be mad. You just have to be frustrated. Um, More on that later. And so then my father-in-law swings back around. He says, I think we'll let the ladies out. Yeah, that's awesome. Let's be chivalrous. And so my wife and my mother-in-law got out, and we went and found the parking spot. And now we're like a half hour late. And I'm just, see, when you're frustrated but you're not mad, stuff comes out sideways. And so these stupid snide remarks start coming out like, I can't believe it. We won't even end. At the Christian Christmas concert, of which... I'm a Christian at this point. Not a pastor, but a Christian at this point. And so we sit down, and my wife is getting a little frustrated with me. And so we sit down, and she's like, you know, like just get over it. You're going to ruin the concert, and you're going to make my parents feel bad. Which, of course, I listened to her by sitting and sulking for 10 or 15 more minutes about how frustrated I am or angry. And it was a really sad, and horrible example of Jesus. And if I'm honest, I had no right to be angry. That's my low light light reel. And I don't say it because I'm proud of it. I say it because I'm guessing that you have a moment or moments where you go, I had no right to be angry. So we continue this story that we started last week in a series we started two weeks ago on the prophets. We're calling it Messages from the Mediterranean. The point of this series is for us to better help recognize and respond to God's word and his voice, not just in the Bible times, but in real time now. We started the story of Jonah, which I called the unprofit. I think he's almost an anti-prophet because a real prophet, when they hear God's voice, they gladly accept God's call, and then they go and proclaim God's message to his people, and then they plead with God for his mercy when the people stubbornly resist. Instead, we see Jonah reject God's call, at least initially, and then begrudgingly and barely go proclaim that message to his enemies and outsiders. And then after they universally repent, he pleads with God to die. So, if you were here last week, you heard that Jonah's name means dove. A dove is, in the scriptures story, the animal that brings this message of peace to Noah and his family during and after that global flood. He brings back this olive branch, which is still today this symbol of peace and reconciliation. And so the one whose name means a messenger of peace and reconciliation does not want to go be a messenger of peace and reconciliation. And at first, it's like, well, they're Assyrians. They're in um, modern-day Syria. You know, Syria, that place that has these atrocities happening that some of us want to see and others of us don't. Nahum, the prophet, says that the people of Nineveh were wicked. They plotted against God. They practiced idolatry. They practiced prostitution and witchcraft. They exploited the helpless, and they decimated whole people groups. I had to take a Native American studies class when I went to school in South Dakota. 
that almost sounds like how the Native Americans would refer to us. But I digress. If they did keep people alive, they took their language, their customs, and their religion. They're not God's chosen special people. They're violent people who deserve God's justice. So maybe it's because they're Assyrians, but I think it's more than that. Do they deserve God's justice or God's compassion? And do we deserve God's justice or God's compassion? And that's what the story's about. So as Hillary read, we see Jonah entering this city called Nineveh. Nineveh, it says, is a three-day journey, maybe because it actually takes three days to go around it, but I think it's because when a foreign dignitary or emissary or missionary would enter a new place, the first day would be about getting acquainted. They would arrive, they would get settled, they would locate the appropriate government officials, present their credentials to them, and then the next day, the officials in charge and this embassy person, this representative, would conduct the business, and if it got done that day, then the next day, they would send them out with whatever proclamation or orders or whatever needed to be handled and send them on their way. So Jonah gets one day into that, technically just to get settled, and he issues this prophecy. 40 days until Nineveh will be overthrown. That's the length that we're given, and it was on the first day's schedule, and that's all it took. The message was received, the people repent, there's sackcloth, there's mourning, there's fasting, there's all these biblical symbols of what it means to turn away from something and turn towards something else. In fact, the wording of the decree at least, at least talks about the possibility, not the certainty though, but the possibility that repentance could cause change, cause rescue. In fact, the word that keeps getting used over and over in the Hebrew text is yeshuv. Yeshuv is this word that we get repentance from. It means to turn and to change. God might yeshuv if we yeshuv. That's what the text is saying. That's what the proclamation is saying. You know, if we yeshuv or change our direction, then God may yeshuv and change his mind. And so Jonah doesn't know what the outcome's going to be. So he travels outside the city to get a front row seat on what could happen. No doubt he's remembered the stories of old, especially the ones of Sodom and Gomorrah, where God rained down fire and sulfur. And, and certainly, if anyone deserved that, it was the Ninevites. So would God receive the mourning and the fasting as heartfelt repentance? or insincere religion? What is God's heart towards the outsider and the enemy? And what's ours? See, it was God's compassion that caused Jonah to even receive his second life, swallowed by a fish and brought out again, I'd call that a second life, and then the second call to go and preach to the Ninevites. And Jonah clearly recognized God's compassion in that. He proclaimed a song or a poem of thanks that's given in Jonah chapter 2. And then he changed direction and went. And now he's given the opportunity to give 
a different group of people the message of God's compassion, which he had just experienced. So did he offer God's justice or God's compassion? Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Remember, 40 in the scriptures is a very sacred symbolic word. There are 40 days and 40 nights of rain in the flood. There are 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. There are 40 days of Jesus being tested in the wilderness. And then there are 40 weeks from the womb until birth. So this is maybe a time of testing, but it's also a time where something is dying and something new is being born. Will the Ninevites die to themselves and be born new in God? Will they be overturned, which can mean overthrown or destroyed because of an outside force, or could the Ninevites Ninevites repent and then be transformed, overturned from a force within, changed by the Spirit of God? Would God do that? One of the things that breaks my heart is when people that are far from God imagine God to be distant, unjust, and unkind. But what really, really, really destroys me is when people who are messengers of that God act like God is unjust, unkind, and distant. I was talking with... uh, a guy who I think is going to be my friend. You know, we're, we're acquaintances, but I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful. And he was telling me about some financial problems he was having, that he and his family were having. And then as he's talking about that, he suddenly switches to his wife's mom's funeral. And he must have seen the look of confusion on my face of how he jumped tracks, which if you know me, that's really interesting. <laughs> but he stopped and he said, oh, sorry. Okay, so before my wife's mom died, her brothers had taken over the family farm. She grew up on this farm. She had three brothers. They all worked on the farm. We decided not to work on the farm. And when her dad died, the brothers kept working the farm and then ended up eventually renting the land out. And then before mom died, they just decided to sell the land. But we didn't get any of that inheritance. Like, we were part of the family. Even though we weren't working the land, we deserved some of that money. And we ended up having to lose our house, we had to move again, and all of this would have been solved if they just would have given us our fair share. He didn't realize how much it had bothered him until his wife came to him and said, I really want to go to my mom's funeral, but I want you to come with me. And for years, for family trip after family trip after family trip, They had avoided family. They had not spent time with them because he could not get over this injustice. He said he'd go to the funeral. His wife said, you know, my brothers really don't believe in Jesus. This is a chance for us to actually live out our faith and show them who God is. So they went to the funeral, and as he sees each brother He's confronted with his own unforgiveness. The hardness and the animosity in his heart. He has to actually just walk out of the funeral and weep. When I asked him more about that, he said, all I could think about was this huge sin, this 
huge mistake that was glaring us in the face that was between these brothers and my wife and I. And I thought, if I have that much animosity and unforgiveness towards God, towards them, how much more could God have the same animosity towards me for all of my sin? That's part of what I think is happening here. Like my friend was weeping and struggling with his attitude towards his wife's family for the same reasons that I think Jonah throws a fit two more times in the story and asks to die. Three times in the story, he asks to die. A messenger of peace and reconciliation, one who is coming to bring a message of life, wants to die. Because I think we want God's compassion for ourselves, but God's justice for others. And that's what God's people were doing at that time. All of God's people were these people who were blessed by God to be a blessing to the world, and instead they were living just like all the countries around them. And what happens in the story is when Jonah sees God turn from this, that's that compassion and turn away from his evil, he actually calls that evil. We don't get the full sense that we get, this translates it, it's very wrong. It's actually the same word as evil. It's this word ra. And ra is this, ra is this like swallowing glass, one of my friends says. If you ever have seen someone swallow glass or had a kid swallow glass, it's scary. You know it can just cut up their throat. Ra breaks stuff up. It shatters. It destroys. Good is something that brings life, that brings life, that brings life. Good is the word that's continually used over and over in the garden. And the first disruption and rebellion is about a tree that gives the knowledge of good and evil. And when humanity eats it, they start calling what is good evil, and what is evil good. And that's what we've been doing for years and years and years. We think that we get to be the determiners of what is good and what is evil. That's what Jonah is doing, and I think that's what we do. So Jonah shows his real self in his tantrum, which is kind of comical. See, God, I knew this would happen. This is why I didn't want to go to Tarshish, or why I fled to Tarshish, and I didn't want to go. I knew you were a God who wanted to give compassion. And he uses this phrase in Psalm 85 and Exodus 34 and Psalm 103, you're a compassionate and gracious God. You're slow to anger. You're abounding in love and faithfulness. You long to forgive people of their sin and not send evil. So kill me, God. Take my life. And then God speaks. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah, but we're not essentially told like what that word of the Lord is or how that word of the Lord is given. But here, God speaks to Jonah. And I've always read this as, is it right for you to be angry? When we have no idea how God said it. I think he kind of said it probably like Hillary said it. Is it right for you to be angry? Patient, gentle, compassionate. All those things that God is probably came through in his question. 
And then almost comically, like a post-Marvel movie scene, we get this plant and this worm and more questions. He goes out to see the destruction. He sets up a shelter. The technology of the day and the supplies he had probably wouldn't have allowed him a, a, a roof over that shelter. So God grows up this plant. It gives him this shelter. And ah, anybody who's been in the heat for the last month knows that there is such a difference between shade and sun. And Jonah is very happy about the shade. In fact, if you look through the whole book, the only time Jonah is happy is when he gets the shade. But I'm not like Jonah, right? You're not like Jonah? We don't get happy over super trivial things like shade. And then the next day, God provides a worm and the plant's destroyed. That must have been a heck of a worm. I mean, not to get distracted, but seriously. God provides, which is the same root word as compassion. God provides the shade, and then he provides the worm, and then he provides a scorching east wind, east meaning from the beginning, like a wind from God, and then the blazing sun. And Jonah again wants to die. Now, maybe he just hasn't had enough sleep. Maybe he's got some other issues. That's not the point. The point, I think, is it is so obvious to me and I, th I think to us where Jonah is right now, right? Like, we can see that he's being petty, that he's being irrational, that he's being vengeful, that he wants God's justice for others and and he's received God's compassion for himself, and he can't see where he is. How long has it been since Jonah was as good as dead in the belly of a fish in the bottom of the sea, and God lifted him out of there? He declared God's grace. He declared God's compassion. And now God acknowledges it to his outsiders and his enemies, and he's mad about it and wants to die. think we'd rather be religious than repentant. It's easier. Repentant means I've got to actually change my mind. I've got to turn from my selfish ways and I've got to move towards God's ways. Jonah can't see that, that his anger over the plant dying that he didn't nurture or grow or care for, as the text tells us, might be a similar reaction to God seeing a people, granted a people that are not acknowledging him, but a people that he's created in his image, that he's nurtured, that he loves, that he cares for, and seeing them be restored to life would be joyful, and seeing them die would have a similar reaction to Jonah about the plant. I think Jonah's more concerned about his comfort than the condition of his soul or the status of the outsider. Maybe he thinks God's character and concern only goes to his chosen people. Or maybe he's more concerned about his garden that he didn't work for, the plant, than his fellow humans created in his image. Maybe he found it easier to be religious instead of 
repentant. So what do we do? Like, is this, does it have to be this? We're just given this question at the end of the book. Because I think that's the answer. Questions are God's way of helping you see where you are. Can we hear the questions that God lovingly and patiently asks us? I think through his word, through his spirit, through others, can we hear the questions that he lovingly asks? These questions are God's way that we see where we are. Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? So maybe you could let God, through his spirit, ask you some questions. How much are you like Jonah? Do you consciously seek being repentant? Or do you settle for being religious? Do you have your values distorted where you care more about plants or pets than people? You spend more time worrying about your plant, which would include your lawn, than praying for all the people that God loves, that he died for, that he cares about. You can picture that guy, right, that like has scissors and a lawnmower and then yells at kids who drive over his lawn or, or run on his lawn. That's the same as a plant. In our day and age, we rejoice over animals being rescued on the news, but we don't see those stories of people being rescued or the people that aren't being rescued and all the trafficking of the world. We have our values messed up. You might not actively hope and hate evil for people around you, but you might not see how much God has given you and me his grace and his compassion and then want to give that to somebody else? Are you someone who limits who and how God loves? That's what Jesus and Peter were doing when Peter approached Jesus and said, how many times, God, must I forgive my brother, someone I should love see, care about, finding my family on the inside, not an outsider? How many times should I forgive the insider? Up to seven. Jesus gives a big number that is tended to talk not about limits, but about unlimited. And then he tells a story in Matthew 18 about a wicked servant, one who has this unpayable huge debt that begs the master to forgive him for it. And he does. And then he runs out from there and then demands payment for this minor offense. And he's the one that's put in jail, the wicked servant. Jesus ends the story with, I canceled that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Question. A question not to make you feel guilty or to judge you, but to help you see where you are, to help me to see where I am. 
Are you someone who wants compassion for yourself but justice for others? And why? Have you talked to God about that? Have you cried out to him about that? Can you see how close or distant you are with God's heart? Because Jonah is getting dealt with much more compassionately than he deserves. Jonah, in all of his bitterness and all of his imperfections and all of his unprofitness, he is still used by God to redeem a whole people. You might think that you don't have anything to offer God. That you are just too much like Jonah. And God might say, exactly, that's why I want to use you. He invites us in our imperfection to be his instruments of grace and compassion because that's who God is. So as the band comes up, just some of you, I think some of us, are like Catherine. We're desperate to be in control or at least be in control of one thing that we can be the master of. And we're invited to surrender. I think others of us are like Jonah. We want to be religious on the outside, but not repentant on the inside. And still others of us, I think, are like the Ninevites. We've actually been going away from God, but maybe that means we're not comfortable in church, or we're not comfortable with reading the Bible, or we're not comfortable with listening to God's Spirit, but we're starting to understand who God is and how he works, and we actually want to follow him. We're just not sure how. Can we be people that hear and respond to the questions that God asks? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this story that, that some people like to say is, is not true, but God, there is so much truth in this story. We are so much like people who want compassion for ourselves but justice for others. God, would you give us questions for us to hear? God, for those in the room that want to be in control, I pray that you would walk up next to them in your spirit, that you would proclaim that you are the Lord of life, you are the giver of good things, You are the tester of hearts. You are the one who is in control of everything. And you invite us to be in relationship with you. God, I pray that we would surrender that thing that we're holding on to that we think makes us godlike and be content with being your children. God, would you speak to us like Jesus spoke to the Pharisees about that sign from Jonah? God, that you are the judge of our hearts. God, that we can't settle for being religious on the outside. God, that you, in your goodness and in your mercy, God, that you are the one who will inspect us, but you invite us to turn and to be changed. And God, for those of us who are are looking for the way and we don't know the way, God, may we see that you, Jesus, are the way and the truth and the life, that you, you came back from the grave, you lived a perfect life, you died a sinner's death. 
but you died without sin and you conquered death. You made a way back to us and you sit in heaven and you intercede for us. God, that all we have to do is acknowledge that, trust you and follow in your way, that your spirit comes to us. God, may your spirit come to us right now.